You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. exciting news. I built an app. I know, right? Crazy. It's called the one-on-one app where we help you become 1% better together. It's an app that helps you break down your goals, achieving your habits and incremental steps. And it helps you celebrate your progress and your momentum with streaks, check-ins, milestones. And with our multi-dimensional approach to a balanced lifestyle, we really help you become 1% better together. So go download it. It's a free app. It'll be linked below. It's only for iOS right now. We're working on getting it in Google Play. But I really believe that this is a -a one-of-a-kind mental health and wellness app that is truly groundbreaking. To give you some like perspective, it's like Noom, but for habit building. And I'm really excited to share this with you. And I'm really excited to get your feedback. So if you download it, you enjoy it, leave us a review. Thank you so much. And on to the episode. Today, I'm joined by Evan Harden, who goes by OG. This Philly native was shot at the age of 16, and now he's bringing a new kind of movement to the city of Philadelphia. Evan founded the National Bar League, which helped design Philly's first bar fitness park, and now he's leading the calisthenic charge. This was one of my favorite episodes, not only for helping you get unstuck, but for helping you become a better person. I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I did. Now on to the episode. Evan, how are you doing? Good. How you doing? How you doing, Philip? Good, good, man. Thanks for coming on. So for a little bit of background, for the month of July, I kind of opened up my calendar to really anyone, people who had been laid off, people who had business ideas, people who just wanted to connect. I find that we traverse all of these digital communities and we rarely get a chance to actually talk face-to-face. I mean, virtually face-to-face, I think, is as good as it gets in these times. So Evan was someone that I actually connected with. Um, shout out to Beth for connecting us. I actually just met with her last week. And I thought you just had such a fascinating story that I think a lot of people can relate to. And I just really appreciate anyone who's trying to trailblaze uh, really in any industry. So really excited to jump in and learn more about the National Bar League. But for those of us that don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, kind of you know what you do, maybe what you did in the past that led you here. And we'll just jump straight in. Thank you, Khalil, for uh, introducing me. Again, my name is Evan, uh, Evan Harden. I go by OG, or people call me OG. Before the National Bar League, after college, I started uh, my own production company with my brother. Right after college, I, I was really an excited entrepreneur. I had that type of spirit. I wanted to do something for myself. So I started a production company with my brother who went to Rhode Island School of Design. And... From there, got my feet wet on the life of entrepreneurship, had many other jobs during the course of that. I was always into health and wellness, always into fitness, but that was my first uh, step into entrepreneurship. And from there was opening hip hop shows and which led me later on to doing what I do now, which is the National Bar League in short. No, I love that. I think that's great. And I smiled because I kind of took the same path right after college. Like I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I really, when I think back to that time, I had such a um, novice viewpoint of what an entrepreneur was and is. And I thought just not working for someone or, or just having that title meant like you made it. it, meant that like your life was all gravy, everything was great. You'd avoid all the trauma that people oftentimes talk about in the nine to five and was abruptly humbled 
to not only learn that it's not that way, but it's probably 10 times harder. So jumping right in, like when you first started, when you were in that entrepreneur space, did you have a similar like view of entrepreneurship? Did you know what you were getting into? Like, what was that kind of first journey like in entrepreneurship? So for me, entrepreneurship started off as just selling items, making a little couple of dollars. When I was in elementary school, you know, you could sell candy. I would have candy and I would sell that. And I remember particularly for one of my birthdays, I think I was turning about eight or nine, my mom showed me how to make origami paper balloons. I was making those and I would sell those as Christmas tree ornaments in elementary school. Move forward from there, I was you know, selling mixtapes, uh, other people's mixtapes in high school. And what really did it though was watching my father, he's an entrepreneur as well, he patented a few things and I just was was really there. I was old enough to watch as he progressed in his company. So I went from making the front porch, his office, to me helping paint his factory, to uh, really just watching the whole process grow. Seeing that, it was my first step in and in being inspired to do something on my own. I recognized the reality early of a nine to five. Sure, it's it's easier, but I find the entrepreneurial journey a lot more rewarding as far as you can either work hard and hustle for somebody else's bottom line, or you can do that for yourself. So that's where I was really introduced into entrepreneurship, watching my dad, helping him, uh, having my own little hustles growing up, breaking leaves, and just you know learning skills to be able to put money in your own pocket, opposed to going to a job and have them pay you. So that was my first introduction to entrepreneurship. I also, it's so funny, you're dropping all of these gems that I just can relate so much to. Like I just could put myself right back to that candy catalog, like selling candy, sell, like I remember like selling cookie dough. I remember how competitive I was. And I remember most of my classmates' parents were doing it for them. Like they weren't actually doing it. Meanwhile, I'm like on the phone calling every person I know, like you need cookie dough, you need to buy this because I wanted to be number one. And also you mentioned like watching your dad's process. I think I've, I've heard that quite often when I interview folks like, one of their parents being very influential. I would say my mom was super influential, but my dad, he was always the parent that was like, don't work for anyone. I remember he's an architect. Uh, I remember like carrying his plans around. And I remember being so impressed when he would walk into like a construction site and just be directing everyone. And I thought that was so cool. And I always wanted to kind of do that myself. As you were in that journey and as you started to mature, were there areas where you felt stuck or areas where you had some imposter syndrome or maybe there were thoughts of like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what this looks like. Or were you someone that was so focused on the prize that you didn't really let doubt creep in? Because I've heard kind of both scenarios. I'm curious kind of what led you to kind of upgrade and, and, and start the National Bar League. Was it, was it something like that? For me, so imposter syndrome is kind of a, a new term that I heard. I really wasn't familiar with what it was. The hurdles that I had to overcome, I think were just really personal, internal, recognizing and critiquing myself. We get in situations where things happen and early on, a lot of us, we don't necessarily have the knowledge for the accountability to say it's on me. Things happen to us and, and I'm pretty sure all of us have been in that situation like, why me? You know, why is this happening to me? I'm doing everything right. 
and I put that in quotations, we're doing everything right. We're doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why is this happening to me? And I was going through a lot of that. I was going through a lot of that. So before the National Bar League, when I was doing a lot of different entrepreneurial ventures that weren't necessarily working in a way that I felt was right. And what I mean by that was some things can seem like they're doing well, but it wasn't going anywhere. It was just kind of doing well in a, in a circle, just spinning your wheels. So I had to look at myself as far as how I wanted to pivot, how I wanted to change and what I wanted to make the approach for. So I think the thing with a lot of entrepreneurs is coming up with that idea. We have a lot of different hustles. I know I sold t-shirts, I, I, a lot of different hustles, but what's the idea that you can scale and drive that really becomes that passion inside of you? I came upon calisthenics because first, I was always into health. I was always into fitness, uh, played football, played all the sports, love sports. Calisthenics kind of caught my eye and I didn't at first think I'm going to make this a business. It was, let me ingrain myself in the in the culture. Let me train myself. Let me really understand everything I can about what it is. And through all those processes of critiquing myself, seeing what I had to work on, reading, exercising, practicing calisthenics, really learning how to master myself first, I think that was the turn of me being able to really push forward into the National Bar League because it started to resonate with my purpose. It started to resonate with me. I felt the passion in it. And I, I, it was something that was a part of who I was. So when you say imposter syndrome or certain things like that, I, I really believe that I could mold myself into the person I needed to be to run a, a type of organization that I wanted to run. So basically, it started with me. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's key. And a lot of folks mention that, but I really appreciate you kind of getting into the details of really what that means. The hurdles that I've always faced in entrepreneurship was this fear that I was going to lose it, that I was going to lose whatever I had built, whether that was not generating enough revenue or my ideas not being relevant enough. And I did a lot of personal work, like you mentioned, and that stems back to kind of growing up in poverty, always feeling like something was going to be taken. And it was actually a very, very deep lesson that took years. And it still, at times, can be a little triggering, but I just know how to respond to it better. That's usually a trigger that I need to slow down. I need to account for everything that's going on. I need to really unpack why I'm feeling like that in the moment and what I need to do to kind of break free of that. And you mentioned like the, why is this happening to me? And I've always seen that with like a flavor of entrepreneurs kind of creating this controlled environment that might not be necessarily what is needed to bring them success, but it's something that they feel like at the end of the day, they can check a box and say like, I did these things well, as opposed to how most of my days look where I'm constantly pushing the envelope. I'm failing all the time. I have a great team around me that's constantly moving and making sure that things don't fall off or shoring it up or just having a team. And so you start to learn that actually pushing the bounds and, and failing is really important. Something you said though, I really resonated with, and I don't, and, and I'm going to kind of use the word twice, but when you said resonate with purpose, when calisthenics started to resonate with your purpose, like, what does that mean? What does that feel like? And what is that like on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, how did you know, like, oh, this is resonating with my purpose? How did you find your purpose? I guess I should start there. 
yeah, so taking a step there, my purpose. When I was younger, uh, we both grew up in the same type of environments. I grew up in Philadelphia. You go through a lot of different rough situations. One of my situations, I was shot. So when I was 16 years old, I was shot with hit with a straight bullet coming home from school. The bullet stopped next to my spine. So I was fortunate enough not to be paralyzed. Um, I survived. But growing up in those neighborhoods, it it desensitizes you early on. We talk about how social media, we see a lot of the same type of things over and over again, which can desensitize us. But if we grew up in it, you kind of already gain this sort of desensitization towards things that go on. So earlier on after I got shot, it really didn't impact me until later on in life what had happened to me. Uh, aside from that, it was just keep going. You're, you're a kid, keep going through school. But when I was younger than when I am now, when I really started to work towards my purpose and I felt things weren't going right, I recognized that I survived for a reason, you know, and I truly had to sit with myself. And because I've came through so many near-death experiences, my first thought was something my dad always taught me was you always leave somewhere a little better than you found it. So that became my personal mission was to leave this earth a little better than I found it. That was the start of my purpose. And then I wanted to find a vehicle for, my, for that purpose, which meant what value, skills, what talents do I have that I can use to give back? Not money, just me. Through that, that's when I, I started to realize I needed to master skills. I wanted to learn more to be that person that could give more back. So they always say, you know, put the the mask on yourself when you're on an airplane, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help others. So in order to show other people, I knew I needed to walk that path first. That meant a lot of consistent, consistent training on myself. Nobody woke me up. Nobody told me you need to come down. I started to wake up. I trained every day outside, rain, snow, hail, heat, it didn't matter. And doing these things, it resonated with my purpose because I started to work on myself, which allowed me to help other people who needed who see, saw what I was doing and helped them. So for me, the purpose started off with being able to leave this earth a little better than I found it. And then it evolved from my mastery of self and the skills as I trained, I started to find the love and passion in calisthenics because I saw the effect it had on me. And then as I helped other people, I saw the effect that it had on them. As I saw that as my vehicle, to give back, that's how the National Bar League over time evolved. First it was, let's see. Then it was, let's take this serious. And then it was like, oh, this can truly help people. At first, it didn't even start off as a business. It just started off as I wanted to do something to help my community, the people around me. I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I didn't want to glance over just that near-death experience because, you know, I know many of us have heard stories like that, but not many of us have actually gone through that. And like you mentioned, like a lot of trauma, it takes years and sometimes decades to fully unpack the ramifications of it, both positive and negative. Were there any revelation moments from that that like really stood out to you, whether that was during the tragedy or just as you were kind of 
getting back to life after it, were there, were there any like revelations that you had that turned you from that, why me to like, oh, and as crazy as this is to say, like this happened for a reason? You know, it wasn't, a, I, I, personally, I would say it wasn't a lot of why me. After a lot of those type of experiences, I, I will admit that it was a lot of fear. Because when you're younger, you feel invincible, right? You do things yeah. uh, that you probably wouldn't do it now because you don't necessarily <laughs> understand all the consequences of jumping that far and maybe missing, you know? It's not to break your leg and like, oh, that was kind of dangerous or stupid. But I started off with a lot of fear, recognizing very early, I was 16, recognizing very early my mortality. That's not something we think about when we're teenagers. We don't think about our mortality. We're so youthful. But that feeling of feeling immortal, feeling unbreakable was really stripped. I recognized very early things could end. And it just, it was a very real thing to me. So the PTSD for me was just a lot of fear. But that was the negative aspect. That fear, it had me move in a certain way where like, I wasn't as confident with my life. As I got older, that fear turned into my strength because I recognize we all, you know, are going to eventually die someday. It's it's natural. It's part of life. So when I decided on my purpose, I really made a covenant with myself, made a promise to God. This was what I was going to do. It didn't matter whether I, the success, the failures, that didn't come to mind. It was just, this is what I'm going to do until I die. I'm going to make it my life's mission. So the fear of going out and taking that risk, that fear didn't matter because we can't take any of this with us. So if I'm going to walk my purpose, the downs, the ups, I'm going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter, you know? So that fear also became my strength because some people panic. They get in situations where finances aren't right, where their plans aren't going according to plan. And they start to focus on the material things that are going on around them. They start to focus on the bills. They start to focus on family, which is all very understandable things. But with the mindset that I have that I'm going to do this, then you find a way within what you're doing to figure it out. You know, whether it's a side job, whether it's another hustle, but this is where we add skills and value to where you can do things that align with what you're doing and still being able to make things work. But that's part of the grind, whether it's hard, people say easier said than done, and it's not easy. It's really hard. <laughs> it's, it's, but that's what we sign up for. And understand that beforehand, I even told myself, like, this is going to be hard. This is probably going to be one of the hardest things I'm going to ever do. But I think that's why the imposter syndrome thing never popped up, because I always believe I'm just, I'm going to go after, I'm going to, I'm going to overcome it, whatever it is. But that confidence comes with walking the path and doing it and getting it, you know, knocked on your ass and then getting back up. Because you could be at a job. You could be at a job and get knocked on your ass. You know, your boss says that wasn't good enough. You just bought a house and got fired. And you, you don't know what to do with your mortgage. You know, it's just the other side of the coin. So then you got to figure out what you're going to do about that. For me, my fear became my strength. And as I knew, like I said, it, it just aligned with my purpose. And if I, if I were to say anything, it's really, for me, looking at the things you are afraid of. Yeah. 
You know, that is key. And I want to unpack kind of what you just mentioned, because I think that was very divine. And fear becoming strength happens to be a very common story among Black men and just the Black community itself in a varying degree of experience. You know, when I was 11, I went to the grocery store for the first time. I was super excited. I rode my bike down, was going to go get Skittles and taco seasoning. And it turned into, you know, a disgruntled cop arresting me, calling me the N-word and telling me never to come back there again. And that moment not only really made me cognizant of death, but also made me cognizant that there are bad people out there. And to your really great point, I was moving around like everyone's great. Things are gravy. And I remember having that sense of fear. I remember that being like when anxiety, my anxiety was born. Like that's was kind of the origin story. It took me years. I remember I didn't talk about that story for years until I got to like high school. And I remember telling it in front of the class and just breaking out in tears and realizing like, wow, that is trauma at its finest. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but that fear becoming your strength, that officer's uneducated nature, fear-based mentality, you know, putting that on me, projecting it on me, you know, me knowing that had nothing to do with me, took me a long time to fully understand and unpack, like yourself, you know, that fear of coming near death, like you have to eventually get back up and say, okay, there is also other people out here who have maybe been through a similar situation or worse that now I need to kind of step into. And so service is always the best way, in my opinion, to heal. And so I just really, really appreciate you talking about that and also just taking it a level down. Like as a money expert, we always talk about like manifesting money, manifesting your job, manifesting what you want. One of the big exercises, like you mentioned, right, is like if you're able to relax and be calm within fear, but not strip the power that fear has to take action, if you can kind of combine those two things together like you have, you become unstoppable because then you are consistent, you have a purpose, you have joy most likely because you've been through the ringer and now you've found kind of this state of calm. And so now in your, you know, I call it quote unquote state of calm. I know there's days that are better than others. I know there's days that are harder than others. But now like as the founder of the National Bar League, like in the fact that you're doing events, you are helping the community, I know that you mentioned to me that you opened Philly's first fitness bar park, which I think is just such an accomplishment uh, and such a testament to your focus. What's life like now and, and what are you striving for now? I know it's impact, but just take us on that journey a little bit in terms of kind of what you see for the National Bar League. And then also tell us maybe a little bit about that park opening up because I think that's so cool. Again, the National Bar League, we, in essence, I wanted to have freestyle calisthenic competitions. I wanted to have people to just display their ability and have the audience or the common people that don't know about it just be wild and have them inspired. Because I know when I see it, it's like, you know, you see parkour, you see gymnastics, and you can't stop watching it, what people are able to do. Having these those competitions and setting that up, I also was traveling around the country, meeting different athletes, seeing different places. And, you know, you have Venice Beach and you have South Beach, Miami that have these bars where people can go outside and just work out and and not just work out. They were hanging out. They were having fun. They were enjoying themselves with each other. It was a community. It's a culture. And I came back to Philly and there was no spot like that. There was nothing we could do. It was like, let's make our own bar somewhere. We rigged up our own bars and places. And once I realized that, I was like, this is what we need here. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know the process to start. 
I just I wrote some wrote up a proposal and just started talking to people. And it eventually landed me in a position where something will come up and the park was able to be built. Having that park built, it was probably one of the shining moments of what I was doing because it was built not too long before the lockdown for COVID and the gyms were shut down and people were able to go outside and work out. People were able to go outside and get some air and not break the distance rules or whatever was going on, but they were able to go outside, work out, get some air, work on their mind, not necessarily be in a state of what people were going through. So, and then I see the kids there. Then I see groups of people hang out there, work out. People come from all over. So watching that open up, that was probably one of my big first dreams come true. The first real, like, I saw that I wanted that for the people. And then it happened. It took a few years, but it happened. And that consistency and determination just made me proud of myself. And it just made me happy to see everybody out there that uses it and all the kids and all all the guys that I know. So that's one of my pride and joy moments right there. That's awesome. No, and I, and I, and I, when you were telling me about it, I thought that was amazing. And what a coincidence that like all of a sudden it becomes this like beacon where people can actually go during the lockdown. You mentioned like Venice, you mentioned, and I think this is applicable to really any space when you talk about the barrier to entry, especially for minorities, is always a lot higher. It's one of the reasons I started this platform was, you know, I always felt stuck in multiple areas. I think it's just a human condition. We do something, conquer it, move on to something new, feel like beginners, and it's just this constant cycle. Some of us have more trauma. Some of us have more restraints that make that easier or harder. So creating a platform like this was kind of the driving force to really helping people. But one of the big cornerstones is getting started just for two minutes. It's like my park is like getting that methodology out there to help people lower that barrier to entry, to help people just really get started and also see kind of a different face in the media. When you look at motivation, when you look at these things, there's not a lot of black men who are out there motivating youth who aren't famous celebrities, right? And I think that was something that was huge. So now that you've kind of established yourself, you know, the National Bar League is out there Do you have any stories like that where, you know, you could just really see the impact past, obviously, the park opening up? Were there any individuals or anyone that you've come across that have inspired you that have really validated the impact you're making? Oh, man. You know, in this culture, to see, because calisthenics is essentially owning your own weight, right? We all got our own problems. We all got to deal with life. But when you do a push-up, that's your weight that you have to learn to handle. When you do a pull-up, that's that's your weight that you have to learn to handle. You know, nobody can do it for you. And so coming up and teaching a lot of other kids, uh, youth, um, mentoring a couple people, to see how it shaped their mindset, to see what they're doing with their lives now. Other kids are successful entrepreneurs, much younger than me, doing really well, and um, I couldn't be more proud of them. Being able to see some of my other friends establish nonprofits and other things around what I'm doing at the park. My friend uh, J-Rock, he has Calisthenic Kids, which is a nonprofit, and he teaches the kids at the community center where we built the park how to do all those things and have competitions for them. Watching, honestly, it spread in that nature, watching other groups in Philadelphia start to pop up, seeing how they're getting into it and they're building their groups and it's becoming such a 
cultural thing in Philadelphia where it wasn't before. Uh, when I would go travel and they would say, oh, there's a calisthenic culture in Philadelphia? I, I would have to say it's me. And so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more people started popping up, started bringing together people who were just doing it, but nobody knew until they saw me. And then they're like, oh, that's the, that's the crew. So just building a culture out here in Philadelphia is something I'm proud of that shows me the impact. Showing the other kids that are doing it around wherever they are. I teach calisthenics at a high school now, at the high school I went to at Roman Catholic. It's the first calisthenics program in a high school that, you know, they get graded on. It's not PE. It's I, I was teaching them the process to be able to go from one place to another in calisthenics. And I think that's where it gets lost is people see us do these amazing things, but don't understand that there's a process to it. Don't understand that there's progression to it. And them come out to the competitions and they learn about it. And for me, teaching these people, have they able to Google it, they're able to go on YouTube and and digest the information easier because they, it's a better understanding about the impact that what I can do. I mean, all those things are so make me so happy with the vehicle that and, and what it what it's made on the community. Absolutely love that. Evan, I've gotten a lot of value. I really appreciate you sharing not only your story about the National Bar League and just your personal story, but also giving us some wisdom. Where can we find you and how can we support you? On Instagram, you can find me at OG underscore fitness, nationalbarleague.com. If you want to check us out, check out some of the highlights of our previous events. Uh, We were having an event that was coming up, but we had to postpone it due to some personal things. But we're going to make sure I make sure to have that information back up if you keep track of us on the website, also Instagram, National Bar League. So those are the places you can reach out. You can find us if you have any questions, if you want some more information, um, I'm easy to get in contact with. Well, G, you're one of the most genuine people I've ever met. I'm rooting for you always. All your links will be below. Thanks again for hanging out with us and, and sharing your wisdom today. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on, brother. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked Podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at Unstucked.